Okay, welcome to Angel Wing Podcast uh, with Dr. Elizabeth Berman. Uh, we are continuing our series on multiple subjects related to human upliftment, self-mastery, personal transformation, and related topics. Um, Dr. Berman, for, in today's podcast, we'd like to ask you about about grieving, about uh, about uh, the experience of losing a loved one, which obviously almost everyone has... Yeah, almost everyone has gone through in some form or another. Uh, what uh, reflections and what uh, insights could you provide us with regards to grief and loss? Uh, this has come up recently in our dialogues um, on Sunday, and as a good follow-up to that, I think it might be good for the group to hear some of your thoughts on this. Well, the energy of grief is a contracted energy. And I use that as opposed to a judgment call because the contraction, I think, is an experience. You can experience a contracted energy versus an expansive energy. And um, in, in looking at my own experience of grief and working with others in their grieving process, it appears to me that the sense of grieving, just the fact that you said grieving and loss, I think is the way at least my mind and perhaps all those in a Western culture, because that's the one I've grown up in, so that's the only one I can really talk about, you know, firsthand, that this sense of loss means something's missing. So perhaps in some way, the contraction around grief is the contraction around the way we experience our world, that, that it's contracted because something is now missing from that world. All right, so I have a question. When you were saying that, some, that there's a contraction, uh, it seems that one's world is contracted and energy itself kind of folds in on itself and it, it gets restricted. There's a restriction of energy with any kind of loss. I mean, and yesterday in our dialogue, we expanded that discussion a bit, you know, away from grief and loss and to include it, I mean, not away from it, but to expand it to just in general to all kinds of loss. So anything, anything that is lost in any situation, there is a contraction of energy and there is a, uh, there's an emotional, experience behind that obviously yes yes so i was just thinking um this morning i watch the news briefly and um i felt grief around what's going on in afghanistan right now i felt grief because i my understanding is that there will be a loss for many people in many ways, particularly women and young girls. And in that sense of just my awareness of something means I'm connected with it in some way. So perhaps the, the web and, you know, television and everything has shrunk our world not so much really shrunk it, but it's expanded the kind of palpable emotional experience we have 
with other beings on the planet whom we may never interact with personally. But there's this sense of connectedness in some way. So there's when something's gone, right? Or when we, yes, when something is gone, if we lose a loved one, um, what about the contraction right here, right now, it, dealing with the COVID virus? There's a sense of a loss of freedom, right? And and that's in some ways contracted our world, or it certainly has contracted the way I see my world. And so perhaps, and you asked me to address the emotional component of that contraction, right? I think that that we, our thoughts and our emotions are very much um, intertwined and that we can actually feel a contraction in our physical body. Um, I know that many times when I speak of losing something or I speak of the fear of losing something, my hands will kind of automatically go to my heart. I feel that there's a contracted physical energy. There's a contraction in my physicality. My body is responding to the, a sense of loss. And perhaps even the muscles in some way are contracting. And I interpret that emotionally, right, as a loss in some way. Now, I'm not sure I addressed really what you asked me to address, but. No, no, no. Uh, yes, that's certainly um, very well said. When an individual loses a loved one, let's be a little bit more specific here. Let's see. There is an onslaught of emotion. There is pain. There is suffering. There is uh, a sense of injustice at times. Yes. Uh, there can be a sense of trying to figure out what else could could have been done. So many thoughts come, you know, trying to um, deal with not just the loss, but trying to deal with the causes of the loss. So the yeah. mind becomes very active. The individual who has who's feeling the brunt of that loss has gotten quite a bit involved in that. And I suspect it has very much to do with the sense that of the me and the mine, that this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my pet, you know, as opposed to if it's not mine as such, but somebody else's, we may still feel something, but it's not going to be anywhere near the sense that is connected with the me. Yes. So can you reflect on that? Can you give some more insight on that? Well, as you were speaking, um, a very strong thought came that the contraction is around a sense of being aware of a loss of control. And I think there's um, a sense of safety or we project a sense of safety around us when we feel like we have things under control, right? The, 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 the dinner's done, the dishes are washed and put away, right? Things are back to their order and their place, whatever order and place um, has been set up that, that we're used to, that we enjoy. Perhaps there's a freedom within that order, right? We don't have to think about things so much. Um, 
you know, psychologists talks about talk about the existential experience or the existential dilemma, which is we really have very little control. We have control over very few things. We assume we have a certain amount of control or we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. We wouldn't get in a car to go grocery shopping. Do you know if we assume that we'll pay attention and drive carefully and the drive will be safe and we'll get our groceries and the house will be stocked and everything will be all right because it's under my control. The death is the ultimate experience of no control, right? And I think that a complicated grief is something, is a grief in which part of the grieving process is involved with trying to understand, one, the why of what happened, and two, who to blame for it. So there's this sense of blame or retribution or um, that that's an also a very, very contracting energy that gets in and significantly complicates the grieving process because the grieving process is about coming to grips, coming to the understanding that my life is going to go forward for some indeterminate time without this loved one with me. So, so, so there's a sense of grief, loss, of course. There's also, you know, many people have, have the thoughts that life that could have been, someone's loved one has passed away, particularly if it's a little bit of younger age, it's more of a brunt. Um, that the life that could have been, this person could have had a great life. So all those thoughts do come for the other person. So, so there's, there's that thinking about the other person's happiness. This is one, like 50% maybe. Yeah, I'm just, it's not really percentage, but I'm just putting it that way. And the other half of that is about my own sense of losing. It's about the me that has lost something that belongs to it. Yes. And I would offer to you that through, um, clear, dedicated grief work that you can come to actually a place of organizing your world in the sense that all of the loss that a person experiences in terms of the loss of the life the beloved could have had is really the loss of the dream that I have for that beloved. So really, in a sense, we're being distracted in some way and projecting out our dream for the life of the other, the unlived life of the other. Who knows whether the other wanted that life or would have, in fact, had that life or, or, or anything else, right? But we construct our world by where we put our attention in terms of our thoughts about things. 
So in focusing on the, the grief of the unlived life of the beloved who is now dead, we're constructing a world with a giant hole in it. Yes, yes, exactly. For ourselves to live in. Exactly. Right? So, so, and that's where the locus of control is. And, and I think that very, that good grief work is the person who is grieving is supported to allow all the feelings and all the thoughts to, that, that come up and wash through them without feeding them and making them where my focus is put, right? If, if if it's a beloved partner of many years, waking up in the morning and not seeing them, not sharing the morning, you know, coffee or tea with them. Yeah, that's going to be really, really rough. The first birthday, the first anniversary, really, really rough. The absence is going to be so poignant. But if we can just feel that and not dwell on it, not make our make it a significant part of our world that keeps opening the wound of loss. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes perfect sense. So, uh, so this is very well stated, the wound of loss. And, it, it, and that is exactly what happens in most cases that, a person relives the loss again and again and keeps opening it further and then damages the internal energy because of that. Yeah, and I would offer to you that 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 the as the feelings come up, they're not good or bad, right or wrong. They they they're emotions, emotional energy, they're mental thoughts, mental energies, and they all they don't have a very long life unless we Feed them. So to be present for an emotion, to be present for a thought of how incredibly sad this is to not be able to share my thoughts with my beloved partner, um, that's okay. And And if I let it go, the energy of it dissipates because that's what thoughts do when we don't feed them. That's what emotions do when we don't feed them. In the feeding of them, in the obsessing about them, in the looking to blame or or to identify ourselves as a victim because we've had this loss, we then create the world around us where we play the part of a victim. Oh, sure. And and have the best part of our life ripped away from us. But, so, but that's our creation. Yes. Yeah, so so I have a follow up, and then that's and thank you for those. Uh, very nice insights. Um, there's also a sense of lost experiences. Yes. You know, that when a loved one is lost or has deceased, and then in a broader sense, anything is lost. I mean, things like stock market falling down, things like, uh, you know, a divorce happening, things like a broken relationship, whatever. In a broader sense, any kind of loss of any kind, it seems to me that there is a regret sometimes, or or there's also a, a, a sense that that what could have been is not going to happen. There's a loss of experience. 
Yes, a loss of opportunity to have yes. a certain kind of experience. Yes, yes, right. exactly. Okay, so along those so along those lines, the pursuit of the various experiences are seen as necessary for happiness. All right, you're talking about the lost opportunity. Yes, 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 exactly. Yes, okay. And and I think here we get very close to the heart of the matter of yes. loss, right? That when we shift the locus or the place in which our happiness resides out side of us, we are setting ourselves up for this experience of loss because we have little to no control over when something ends, when something goes away, when something, because I would offer to you, you know, when we plan for what I'm going to loosely call a loss, it's a very different experience than if we feel that something's been taken away from us. Let's just say um, I, my, my family decides our house isn't big enough for our growing family. So we plan, we put our house on the market it you know we go through the sale of it we've already got another house picked out and we move into the new house yeah there may be some sadness around all oh, those neighbors that were so great or this or that but it's not this wrenching loss that if the stock market falls and the bank calls in our home loan and we can't pay it the bank repossesses our house that's a loss and the family doesn't know where to go they're out on the street Two, do you know what I mean? On one level, on the material level, a family moves out of a house. One, it can be considered a catastrophic loss. Another, it's just a movement forward. It's in our plan. Mm -hmm. We don't plan for the, our loved ones to die, especially in this culture. So when we talk about death and grieving around the loss of a person, we're talking about the inevitable consequence of a culture that kind of wants to ignore the fact that we die or that we, and, and death has different meanings for different people that the essence, the life force essence exits the body we have come to identify with the partner, the child, the grandchild. Yes, yes, exactly. And see, the, I think you said the magic word there is identification. Yes. It, it has all to do with a sense of identification. Yes. And, and, and going back to what you said, mine. Yes. My son, my grandchild, my partner. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So this extended identity of me and the world I want to keep balanced around me so that I can feel happy and fulfilled. Yes. Yes, exactly. It is, it is obviously, you know, it, it is a search in life. In life, we want to be happy. We want to be secure. 
we want consistency in life. Um, but obviously there are uncontrollable factors and, uh, and there are unknowns. Nobody knows what's going to happen. The uh, uncertainty is just part of life completely. And I, I think a couple of Wednesdays ago, I think one of the opening things I said was we underestimate the power of the negative effect of the power of forgetting that life is unpredictable. Right, exactly. If we're going along thinking, okay, the house is just the way I want it, the, you know, whatever, the yard, the this, the that, the other thing. Um, and, and, and the, okay, that's good, right? Well, we all know that everything changes, but we don't really integrate that into our day-to-day experience of our lives and how we identify ourselves going through the world. I I assume my car's going to work when I go out and get in it, right? Until it doesn't work. And then I, whatever my plans for the day are that involve the vehicle, have to shift pretty radically while I take care of that. Yes. Nobody, I don't think anybody buys a car and thinks that it's going to last the rest of their life with no trouble ever. But somehow we manage to avoid thinking about what's going to happen when this beloved person is no longer with me. Exactly. And, and, and the complicated bereavements or grief processes generally come from unexpected death, right? A, a, a violent, unexpected death. Because we haven't been given what we would ask for is some sort of natural, what we see is a natural unfolding of a life in which we hit certain landmarks and have some more acceptance of we're probably going to lose somebody now. It's a different experience to lose a great grandmother than it is to lose a mother. Yes, definitely. And radically different than to lose your child. Yes. Right? So even though there's a denial that, that, or, or, or an avoidance, maybe not a denial, an avoidance of thinking about what if, or perhaps when, if I, if you predecease me, what are we going to do? What am I, what is the one who's left going to be doing, right? Simply have those conversations expands our bandwidth to tolerate really contracted, painful emotions and thoughts. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes, because uh, we don't want that in any aspect of life. You know, we don't want that with um, problems with job or with with our finances or with our relationships. We don't want that contraction or loss with anything, really. We want to have the fullness of experience in all its glory and, you know, without having uh, pain and suffering or, or very, very minimal amounts of it. Uh, and maybe some people's lives may be that way. But majority of human beings don't seem to be in that situation, certainly. Uh, and, there's, and there's a striving again and again to find more and more security and stability, stability or even permanency. 
sense of permanence in an impermanent world. Yes, and so to even say it like that um, opens up the possibility of accepting the impermanence of the physical the physical world. You know, there there are teachings that say anything that changes is not real, right? So obviously, my body changes, right? So what from, you know, like you said earlier, or one podcast, we start as a zygote, right? And we end as a corpse for the body. And if that's what I've identified with, then, well, that's it. But what about the life force that animates the body? Isn't that the interesting question that has dominated man's thought as far as I know from the point where people started talking about anything yes <laughs> yes very much so boring right the, the 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 ancient scriptures that survive it seemed to me have this as a kernel of what they're always coming back to and talking about yes and that's really and that's the bigger mystery of consciousness, who am I, what survives, what doesn't survive, you know, those those kinds of questions are quite important for someone who is going through grief and loss. Yes. However, I would offer to you that if this is the first time they started contemplating the, these questions, it's a little more difficult than starting to contemplate them at times when your life is more peaceful and more ordered and less filled with pain, the pain of loss and the pain of contraction. Yes, definitely. Definitely, yeah, because uh, loss loss inherently uh, has within it the sense that this was mine and it's no longer mine. Yes. It's no longer there. It's It's gone somewhere else. It's not a part of my life anymore. Yes. So that any kind of loss. And it's and not just a temporary shifting where something comes back, but yeah. it's gone. You know, it's just it's not going to come back. That uh, uh, that sense it uh, has a finality to it, has a permanency to it. And uh, to be able to master oneself or master one's life, keeping that in mind, that. That there are finalities in life that we cannot get back. There, you know, some other things we can get back. So, how does self-mastery? Everything, everything that takes form has a a a shelf date. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Everything that takes form. So, you know, I can have a fight with my partner, and they will come back. But how do I want to say this? Ultimately, everything that I perceive with my senses is going to be gone at some point. It's going to change. The essence, the energy that animates the form will leave that particular form, go back into the universal, you you know, source. 
and be recycled in some other form, right? Brahma, Krishna, and um, Shiva, creator, preserver, destroyer. Those are the elements of this, the life force energy, which is in its self-consciousness. That it's, it, it's, it's the energy that allows us to have this conversation, to even contemplate these thoughts. So I actually made a note the other day. I heard somebody say something, ask the question, what is a beautiful question? Mm-hmm. And a semi-answer was, it's a question that leads you to continue building a beautiful mind. And then to further illustrate it, they said, a beautiful question is often disturbing because it can take us to areas which we have never really gone because we're afraid to explore them. And I think what we're talking about now is those questions, right? We're, we're, What is my inner horizon? What is the level within my conscious mind that I don't dig any deeper than that? Right? A beautiful question is one that takes you deeper to places where you've never allowed yourself to contemplate. And I think that's part of what's happening here. What we're, what we're doing, right? What you, what this dialogue was doing when there was a group of people participating yes. in it. Yes, exactly, exactly. These are the the broader questions that are have eternally been present, have, you know, since humanity has been around. But it also seems to me that uh, any experience of life, including grief, including loss of a loved one, is quite didactic in its purview, that it, that there is the possibility of much greater truth being unraveled through an experience that may seem to be, or that very well may be very painful and difficult and terrible and, and all of that, but nonetheless it is an experience and that would be an intimation that that experience is present in our purview for much greater wisdom and growth. Yes. I I do not remember the young lady's name, but I listened to someone give a TED Talk. And she was saying something about, you know, really there are no mistakes. In, in essence, mistake in the sense that um, something went wrong, right? How would we get from being a newborn, only being able to scream and cry to express our needs, to, you know, an electrical engineer or a a neurosurgeon? We have had to, as humans, I would say, as I watch my dog, and perhaps even mammals, we learn by things not working out the way we anticipate. It's not a mistake. It's just, wow, I don't have to do that one again, right? Because my goal is to be able to get up off my hands and knees and walk upright. So I'm going to keep trying different ways. And how many times do I fail at that? 
quote unquote fail um, until I master it. And then I use that same technique of trying things out and not redoing the things that didn't work. You know, there there's kind of in pop psychology, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Right, exactly. Right? And that's how we can get caught into this complicated grief, right? Because going back to the original thought about grief and loss, we're human. We're living in a human body. The human mind and the human senses grieve when there's a loss. That's that. We do not have to limit our identity of ourselves to that aspect of us. We can feel it, live it, experience it as part of being in a human body with a human mind and know that the consciousness that's observing that is greater. It transcends these limited aspects of ourselves. Yes, yes, exactly. And a lot of it really has to do with uh, quite a bit of psychological conditioning um, regarding the people that surround us. Yes, yes. And that's a very interesting um, area of study to look how do different cultures deal with death? How do different cultures deal with death, right? You know, if you have Irish um, heritage, you, the Irish wake is one way of doing something. You know, if you're, if you're Italian, they, there's a way in which people do what they do in, in this time of death and loss, right? So we are going to be surrounded by pretty much the, the people and the culture around us who are either going to support us in identifying as having lost something and being a victim or just identify, help us identify with the human aspect of this time and reminding and continuing to interact with that part of us that transcends all of that. Yes, and, and and that's where energy seems to be the bridge to whatever that mystical yes. part may be. Yes, yes, the life force. You know what is it? Yeah. If it is in everything that I experience, what is yes. it? What is it? Right, and perhaps those that is one of the beautiful questions that allows us to be quiet enough to discipline ourselves to tolerate all the insanity that a human mind can generate when we're trying to be quiet, when we're trying to find that place of silence within ourselves. And if we expand, you know, our ability to tolerate the insanity of a mind gone wild, and everybody's mind goes wild when we feel like we're not in control, um, we can actually sink beneath that so that that chatter is no longer distracting. And perhaps that's what's meant by going beneath the current horizon in our consciousness. 
and and going into our own subconscious and our own unconscious where Jung said that's where the gold is of course you're going to want to explore it yeah it's scary but explore it yes exactly exactly yes and and that's where um the me that has is experiencing the loss uh can gain wisdom about itself yes yes and i would offer the possibility of that me expanding its understanding of the self that transcends the human form which then opens up wow now if that's true what is my relationship while i'm still in this human body with the life force energy of this beloved who's no longer here in their human form yes definitely, definitely. so instead of a contraction and a loss of something leaving my world just like you said sometimes the most intense experiences the most hurtful experiences open a doorway to something that's pretty phenomenal because it takes us beyond anything we've ever really thought about or experienced before. Yes, exactly. That's right. That's right. And um and in other cases it could be the same repetition of grief loss cycle that that may be very much conditioned and, and that's how the person just functions that way it's a cyclical functioning yeah um you, you, you know so it seems to me that attention needs to be placed on the movement of energy yeah. in all of this thing yeah yeah and if i can understand that my thoughts and feelings about this situation right are energies that they're going to move unless i cement them in place by obsessing in a, on a certain way of thinking on a certain way of feeling and identify myself as a victim of the early death of my whatever son mm-hmm. grandchild you know um and yeah the world sees us as that and has a lot of kindness and pity uh, about that and and the human part of that is going to go through the human part of that but many cultures have like a 40 day period of grieving some cultures have years where where women have to wear black and can't be seen in public alone or whatever um but but different cultures have different ways of saying there is a period here that it is really really important that you give yourself permission to grieve and you do that so you can release the energy of grief and go on and be a creative being in a human form for as long as you're going to stay in a human form you know uh, yes exactly when we look at the energy flow um just as a reference you know there is of course the kubler ross grieving curve yeah um it's it's online and, 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 yeah, and, and anybody can 
Right? Yeah, so there's these different stages. So you've got um, a, sh a shocking event, then there's a refusal to understand what may have happened, incomprehension, negation, sometimes outright negation. And then there's resistance that can happen. And then there can be a catharsis, sadness, lethargy, despair, depression, etc. Energy is really dipped down. You know, so the personal energy has just really gone down there. Uh, and, and then, of course, hopefully as time goes on, then eventually the reintegration process begins and once energies begin to come back up again. But, you know, I, I, I wonder, maybe this is purely theoret theoretical, but I wonder if in the realm of possibility, there is clear awareness of energy completely and and realizing that all of life is transitory, every experience is transitory, and in that realization, one's energy remains completely whole, yes. whatever may happen. Yes, I, I would offer to you that as you were speaking, I saw that as stepping through the threshold into enlightenment. Yes, exactly. Right? And in that state, this sense that there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. Right? right. It's all, everything is all one. There's this coherent energy field that is consciousness itself that is creating and populating the world we live in. And, and that our thoughts and our feelings and our actions are a part of that creation and population of the world around us. But we're not so aware of the actual act of that happening when we're thinking or feeling. Yes. Or acting, right? I, I was thinking about just they say the world that we see around us is a reflection of what's inside of us. So as I'm watching the Taliban march into and take over, you know, Afghanistan, and, and I feel my heart just, I just feel how much I want good things to happen to the people of that country, right? Yes. There's a oneness in that. And, and, and if I don't get caught into big, good guys, bad guys, victims, do you know what I mean, evil people, um, if I don't get caught in that dichotomy, I can tolerate the, the, the discomfort of, and the sadness, the contracted energies that I feel about witnessing this on my television screen, and not the least of which is the guilt that I feel that no matter how bad things are with COVID here in the U.S., nobody's going to come in my house with a machine gun and shoot me because of my gender or because of something I may have done with, with, with whatever. And, and so that to, to let that be a natural unfolding of learning that everything's connected. And, and we are a part of that. And, and that the control that I seek is really the yearning to know truth, 
truth beyond my limited mind's ability to kind of parse it out, if then equals, right? Yes, yes, very much so. It almost seems like an attempt to bring stability in life is, you know, is always there. There's always wanting to be more stable, more comfortable. Uh, there's more predictability, let's say. But when the unpredictable happens, when the unknown happens, or something that is out of the blue, a loss that happens, uh, there's a shock to the system. There's a shock to the mind. Because, and the source of the shock seems to be the mind or the individual's belief in the permanency of that person, even though yes. in reality we all know it's all impermanent. But the, mm-hmm. but the belief is that this is here to stay. And even we, and that may not be even at a conscious level. Oh, I think it's not so much at a conscious level because our con. Yes, you, you're correct. That there's a way in which we we shelf our into our intuitive knowing of the impermanence of things yeah. for the more comforting thought of okay, I've got a good retirement plan. Things are going to be good. When, right? I'm going to work at this job I hate until I get enough money to retire and then, then my life will begin. Or, yes. you know, when my kid gets it together and actually finds a job and stops smoking weed or whatever it is that I'm disappointed about my child doing, grows up and becomes more functional or whatever. That, that, that we tell ourselves fairy tales, right? And we, in the beginning, we know they're fairy tales, but pretty soon we kind of fall into the trance of forgetfulness, forget, forgetting the nature of energy, which it moves, it changes. Yes. My body is energy. My thoughts are energy. Your body's, you know, the same, right? So, so the continuity is the energy of the life force itself, which also goes back to our own desires. Yes. You know, what we want to happen, the experiences we have, the desires we have, and if they are fulfilled the way we want them, interestingly enough, even that fulfillment is temporary. Yes, yes, and the more we get what we want, the 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 shorter the period of ah is yes. right, and and I think that people who really think about this and really examine this within themselves understand that really the enduring sense of happiness, if we. we we call it that or or peace or the sense of being in the right place at the right time doing the right thing is when we're serving others not when we're trying so hard to control everything in our own lives to make it just perfect for us yes yes definitely and and perhaps these seminal losses that humans experience throughout their you know I, i i remember Somebody talking to me about 
the loss of the dream or the belief in Santa Claus, right? When they were the kid, right? And and they finally were told Santa Claus doesn't exist. And what a traumatic experience that was for them in, in their lifetime. But to be able to know that and recognize the process that he went through in that gave him some stability or at least a template to, to use to deal with the losses that come in our lives. Remember earlier we talked about the, the, the loss of the loved one, right? The, the life the loved one might have lived. Well, really that's the loss of our dream for the loved one as they are we're going to be in our lives. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, definitely. So, and, and that's part of what humans do and recognize, yeah, that's my human part of me and it hurts and I'm going to give myself time to grieve it, but I'm not going to identify with it. You know, in hearing everything you've talked about today, it almost, it, it seems to me that each person can utilize these angel wing uh, dialogues and podcasts and all the material we have, plus other places also. And to take a genuine look at the ideas presented and to really reflect upon them and discover for oneself if there is truth behind them. Yes, and I would come back to allow themselves to find a beautiful question within the angel wings offerings and with courage go forward and just what you said, examine them in a way that I can say, yes, this is valuable for me to contemplate this or no, not for me, not right now and move to look to something else that's valuable for me in this moment. Yes, because it's possible that each individual can realize that the freedom that they seek, the freedom that is sought, the happiness that is sought, or the enlightenment that is sought, is available to us at every turn of experience. I think that's a very accurate statement. All right. So having said that, if there's any, <laughs> <laughs> if there's any uh, uh, final comments you'd like to make before we end today's podcast? Well, I just have been thinking, I had a yoga teacher once, and we were doing some balance posture that was really challenging for everyone in the class. And some people were mastering it more than others. And she said, and perhaps the point of doing yoga is that you would be able to hold this posture when the hurricane hits. We were living in Florida at the time, so hurricanes were a very common experience. And I would offer to you these dialogues, these experiences that we share on Angel Wing are like yoga in the sense of finding finding balance within these different exposures. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So that was Dr. Elizabeth Berman. Today is the 16th of August, 2021. Thank you very much for just enlightening a series of ideas uh, in today's podcast. Please do visit us on theangelwing.com. And uh, there is also the Angel Wing podcast channel. Uh, all of that information is available in our newsletters. Please do stay in touch with us as we continue to move forward one day at a time. Thank you very much, Dr. Berman. Thank you, Sachin.